Hello, it is that time of the day, Pet Chat. We're back. A huge welcome to Cheryl Shaw from Dog Overboard. Lovely to have you on board, as always. Lovely to be here, Sarah. And Dr. David Tabrett, welcome back to you also. Thanks, Sarah. Good I, to be here. I'm just glad that you can make it these days now that oh, you're vet on. of the year. I know that, you know, you're, you're busy, <laughs> so we appreciate your expertise always. It all started here. Well, it all started on Pet Chat 10 yeah. years ago. Of course it there did. Now, what have we got coming up today? Well, uh, we had a really interesting discussion, the three of us, before the show started about tick patients, and mm. I've got some insights on how things are going this season. Ryan in Belmont, you've got a great, great question on behalf of your son, Kobe. Yeah, that's right. Please ask away. What's the question? Okay, um, we've got an 11-week-old puppy, and he plays with his dad, Just, um, but they don't live together. Just wondering, do you think they know each other? but like, um, it's, it is a good question, uh, and I think it, there's a couple of different aspects of this. One, one is about how dogs relate to each other anyway in a pack situation. Um, yeah. And the other thing is that we're looking at it from the human perspective. Mm. In other words, we're, we're looking at what is the family role, the father role, and things like that. So that's what we call anthropomorphizing. So we're attributing human feelings or... Um, beliefs, attitudes to an animal, and we really don't know whether they have that perception. I think what we do know, though, is that dogs generally are what we consider pack animals. So when they're at that age, they're actually biology and their instinct and their behavior is all centered around learning from older dogs in the pack. Now, if you think back, you know, to in the wild or prehistoric times, that might be uh, the father of the dogs, but it might also be, you know, other previous uh, litters, maybe from the year before. There would be other dogs there. So I don't know that the the pup actually says that's my father, but I do think they they certainly recognise the relationship of the elder dog and what I need to learn. Interestingly, if we look at it and said it was the father relationship, when dogs get older. Um, they subsequently, you know, develop sexual maturity, and if the dog's not desexed, left unchecked, uh, those two dogs might actually fight. Um, so it's not about the father; it's just about, well, now you're in my way to get to uh, the female dog that's on heat, so I have to fight you to get there. And from the perspective of of growth and evolution and development, that means that the younger, stronger, fitter dogs become the genetic material that's passed on and that actually improves the strength of the breed and the species. So there's a there's a good reason for this sort of conflict to happen. But I don't I wouldn't say that they actually know that it's his father, but he certainly would be learning. And that's I guess what we could all take from our fathers is that they're there to teach us. I feel like there's a message in here for your, your is this, children. This is because I've, I've gotten older. Yeah, <laughs> I'm starting right. to turn into grasshopper on the hill. I'm you gonna, were. Yes, you've come for wisdom. Uh, getting very philosophical. <laughs> Ryan from no, Belmont, thank you. And thank Kobe yeah, for the great good question. question. Very good yeah. question. Yeah, thanks, No worries. Thanks, Ryan. Taking your calls on 49216216. So, David, does that mean there's um, a lot of inbred breeding then with the packs as well? No. If you've got the female and males, obviously, brothers, sisters, etc. cetera. Uh, I guess it probably does occur, but... Um, and does that cause issues or the, not, well, not in the way this it does? Well, this brings in the nature of the, the 
the breed or the species is that they're travelling. So they might have... Dogs aren't territorial in the sense that we see with some other species. So they're more likely to travel around. Um, but I guess we've, we know that over years, the, the different breeds... I mean, the, the idea of the ancient dog, this kind of the wolf figure, has really mm. been lost. Yeah. You know, all, wolves are actually a different um, species. And so the domestic dog, if you like, humans have had such a big influence because really your, your pug is the same species as a um, Great Dane. Yeah, slightly different, okay, isn't so it? <laughs> they're the same species. So yeah. you kind of look at it and go, well, something's caused the difference. Yes, yep. And it wasn't just nature. And that's nature. human intervention. Yes, exactly. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but for different purposes, see? Yeah, yeah, of course, for different needs and that sort of thing. Yeah, well, pugs are for sitting on your lap. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> they're so cute. <laughs> they have a lot of issues. Four nine two one six two one six. Taking your calls now, Cheryl. We're talking about it getting warmer, um, daylight saving. Now, people in general are seeming more upbeat. We were saying before, yes. you know, just the longer hours, the daylight. It's nice. But look, along with that, becomes responsibility if you are a pool owner and a pet owner. And this is a big one. It is a big one because lots of dogs die every year from drowning in their family swimming pools. We all know that swimming can be really good fun. It's great exercise and unfortunately sometimes people just don't get it right with their puppies. So if you've got a new puppy or even any dog that um, you just need to go and check around your backyard, around your pool fencing, make sure that that fencing is, um, hasn't got any gaps in it. There's nothing that the dog can, or the puppy in particular can fit through those slats because dogs are attracted to water just like with children. Okay. They go in, they, they fall in, and they may even chase something. So don't leave things like floats or, or toys on the pool because often a dog will be attracted to that, go after it, and then obviously if they fall in and they can't swim, it becomes a really big issue. Sarah, not all dogs can actually swim. Did you, did you know that? Um, my my dog can't. Definitely not. My With bulldog. those short little legs, that dense body. Solid. Yeah, right. Solid. Yeah. I've seen um, the Maltese Gizzy swim, but I don't think he'd be able to get out of a pool. Yeah, and this is a really big concern. Those dogs that are, are heavy like David's bulldog, they just can't they swim. They sink, do yeah. they? And, you know, if you do want them to go swimming with you, you must put on a life jacket for them and have them be in there with them because, you know, it just isn't worth that risk. They will sink and it only takes about three seconds for a dog to drown. So it's really, really... Oh, wow. Yeah. And three it's seconds. silent. The other thing is that you can just turn your back just like with children and that dog be drowned. So, you know, you really need to be just like with children. Like I said, you need to watch them every minute they're in that pool area with you. Um, some, some dogs, like we were saying, just can't get out of the pool. You need to teach your puppy or your dog to go via the steps into your pool. So, you know, show the dog back to training. Train the dog to every time it goes into the pool, goes in via the steps and exits via the steps. Mm. If that doesn't happen, what will the dog will try to do is it will try to pull itself up over the side or the edge of the pool. Now, some pools have little ledges, some have, you know, bullnose tiles that come over the pool, and it's impossible for just about every dog to get out, except for Kelpie. Kelpies always manage. They've got a lot of upper body strength. They can drag themselves up out of the pool. But for other dogs, they'll cling on, and when they're clinging on, they just are going to get so tired, so exhausted. 
and they'll be paddling, you know, their little legs getting tighter and tighter and then they'll just slip down under the water. Right. And again, this is so dangerous. So we need to make sure that we teach them which way the steps are, how to exit because they're just not physically strong enough to pull themselves up. There's um, another thing that you need to be careful about, even with the outside of the pool, check that there's no tables and chairs or, you know, furniture that the dog can jump onto and then go over into the pool because often they see that there's a lot of excitement, everyone's playing, having fun and they want to get involved and once they get into that pool area they can, um, as I said, fall into the water. They are curious about water. They, If they fall in and they're not strong swimmers, um, obviously it can be a really bad outcome. So you need to make sure that, um, that you don't leave um, those floats and things as I said before because that's really just encourages them to go near the water. The other thing is I actually had a client of mine whose dog drowned in their pool but it had the pool cover over the pool so don't assume just because you've got a cover there oh, okay. that your dog is safe yeah. because they can walk on them, slide underneath and you know it's a really horrible thing to have happen. Um, life jackets are just fantastic not only for your pool but if you're taking your dog out in the boat or something like that putting a life jacket on just help that buoyancy yep that buoyancy is really important too for older dogs and and puppies who um, you know don't have a lot of energy Um, that will help keep them buoyant and um, less less possibility of them getting as tired so quickly the other thing is if you've got a dog with a long coat, you know, like one of my dogs, a poodle, it's, if they're going to be swimming a lot, it's really a good idea to clip them back mm, so that they're so not... heavy. Yeah, and when they get heavy, their back legs actually sink down underneath them and they tire and then they go down because that weight-body ratio has been altered. So it's really important to keep them shorter. Yeah. The other thing that um, they dry a lot quicker too if they don't of have all of that coat. I didn't realise dogs um, liked the water as much as they do when we're been to friends homes in you know in the past and they've had pools um we always supervise and he's got a life jacket but we put gizmo the maltese on a little floaty and he just falls asleep on there and floats around the pool when we're (laughs) playing in there he loves it i didn't expect that but yeah he has a great time not all dogs love water though so some are really really frightened of it and it can be quite scary for them they thrash and it's a real issue so you know if you do have a dog that's not enjoying the water please don't try and you know persist don't make them swim no (laughs) put the telly on let them relax (laughs) some good advice we've got mitch from ellie barner on the line now well done you've got a 15 year old dog and you've got a question about it for dr david tapperett yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, David, I've, he's got a, a couple of lumps on him. One under his chest plate about a half a size of a tennis ball and then one about a golf ball underneath. They don't seem to be worrying him at all. I, I've squeezed him. I wouldn't say I overly squeezed him. I, you know, make sure that he didn't yelp or anything. And when I wash him, they don't seem to be getting any bigger, but they don't seem to be worrying about him. Should I worry about him? The other thing, he's uh, got a bit of a you know, like an open sore, which he has in the, you know, over the last 15 years, he's had a couple, and he just tends to, to lick it occasionally just to keep it. It's nice and clean, he doesn't seem worried about it, and nine times out of ten, I'm not a big, sorry mate, big vet pet, uh, fan, not fan, but you know, if he's, if he's looking, look, if he's looking alright, if he's looking alright and he doesn't need, you know, immediate care, I've obviously taken the vet for all these shots and, 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 and really tragic work that needs to be done, but if he tends to get over it himself, I tend to work that way. What do you think about the lumps? Um, just on that open saw, where's that located? It's sort of on his, on his, Belly, yeah, more so his belly, just sort of under his hind leg, uh, okay. yeah, belly. So he can sort of lick it when he's lying down. And what what sort of dog is he? Uh, red Kelpie. 
Okay. Um, so usually, like when dogs over the years, obviously things happen, um, and then get into that age group. So you're saying 15, we're obviously getting on a fair bit, um, and we do see dogs, like people, develop a few of these lumps and bumps. And, you know, you're probably correct in that uh, some of these are, just aren't going to be a great concern over time. Um, you just need to be a little bit careful, first of all, about squeezing them. I think it's a good idea to just to check that they're not sore. But yeah. there there is some evidence that if there was, for instance, say, a benign uh, um, tumour, which means it's not actually going to spread anywhere else, but they can still cause problems locally, um, sometimes trauma to them, like squeezing and things, can trigger them to change and become more, more dangerous or malignant. So now that could be just lying on, on the surface of them, but obviously just trying to avoid that. And once you've ascertained they're not sore, you're best to leave those things alone. One thing that's really important to do is to actually measure the size of these lumps um, right. because, because you're looking at it every day, um, you kind of just get used to seeing it. So you don't really notice when it changes too much. And I've seen people come in and say to me, oh, you know, this lump came up yesterday and it's like half the size of a, a soccer ball. Um, and obviously it's been there for much longer. And we go back and look at our records and say, yeah, well, it was a small lump two years ago. But yep. just because you're looking at it each day, you just don't get, you don't notice it as much. Um, so it's important to know the size of it. Now, the other thing is that it's worthwhile is to check your veterinarian can actually put a needle into these lumps, take some cells out and have a look at them under the microscope and make a determination if they think that it's something that needs further action because we there's so much overlap um, with a lot of different types of skin tumours or what we call subcutaneous tumours um, which are under the skin. We just can't tell by looking at them. We really need to look at cells and in some cases a biopsy. But the difference is, for instance, if it's a mast cell tumour, they can be very nasty. If it's a um, histiocytoma, which is just a type of cell in the skin, they almost look exactly the same. And the only way to tell is to look at them under a microscope or sometimes, like I said, the biopsy. The other thing is that the open sore on the belly, the reason I asked about the location and that is that some of those are actually a type of skin cancer, um, right. squamous cell carcinoma. And we see that a lot in dogs that lie on their back in the sun, like the bull terriers do this all the time. And it's that pink, relatively hairless skin that just gets a bit of sun damage, just like we do. And they can develop a, a, a squamous cell carcinoma, skin cancer, um, which can obviously spread and cause problems. So, and just finally, about the visit to the vet thing, I would say to you at this stage, we need to shift the focus. Let's worry about the lumps and less about the vaccination because I think you're probably well outside the danger period for those diseases. You've kept them away. And he's probably got pretty good immunity anyway. But now I just want to get those lumps checked and just make sure they're not going to turn into anything. And most of the time, that can be done just as a simple visit. The vet can have a look and say, yep, it's this type. You know, we'll measure it. We don't have to do too much. But if there's something suspicious there, then they might want to... And you, you would know. still be able to do something on a 15-year-old dog, obviously, quite easily if there's... Yeah, if, yeah. You know, depending on what it is. 
if yeah, there's something yeah, that's absolutely. a bit nasty. I mean, that's one of the things about dogs we're seeing now is that, you know, when I was a kid, if a dog made it to double digits, we were like, oh, he's, you Yeah, know, he's, well, he's had a great life. Yeah, yeah. he's geriatric. Um, and now mm. dogs are living so much longer because we, we, do, we prevent disease, we vaccinate, we stop the nasty things like heartworm, etc. Um, we don't let them run out on the road get hit by cars mm. and so they're living longer which means we're going to come across these sort of problems yeah so yeah. It, it's something that's easily checked um and probably worth a visit just to make sure david a question that's come in during the song um is citrus fruits harmful to dogs if they eat them no no Didn't no think so um it's often a Good question, because when we start to talk about uh, things that are toxic for dogs, eating them is, um, you know, a lot of people know about some of the obvious things like onion. Yes. Maybe people don't know that. And we talk about chocolate, um, but, I mean, that's a processed food, but essentially if you ate the cacao bean, is that how you say that? Cacao? Cacao bean, yeah, which is where chocolate comes from. We just don't grow much of it in this country. But um, citrus fruit, no, but interestingly... Uh, stone fruit, if you eat the stone, and it's actually the germ seed inside the stone, and some people do this, I've heard, they crack the, you know, like an apricot yeah, or a peach, a peach yep. crack it open, and inside is this soft germ seed. Do not do that. Right. Right, because, and it has occurred in animals, where people thought that was a good idea, and it's actually occurred in people, where people have thought, oh, it's healthy. Uh-huh. It contains cyanide. Um, oh. And there was a case report. I remember reading this like decades ago. There was a case report of a girl who was on a farm in Montana, somewhere like that, central USA. It was an apricot and ate this one, just ate one of the seed of the apricot. So cracked the stone, yep, got ate- the seed, ate it and died, and it contains cyanide. Oh, wow. And people go, oh, why? how could that happen? Well, you know, fruits and things like this, nature contains lots of nasty things um, to keep predator, you know, keep yeah, pests away yeah. and things like that. So, yeah. That's really interesting. So certain things, yes, like avocados, um, the stones are toxic, and generally dogs don't go near them, but horses do. If a horse gets into an avocado grove, that's problems. So they can eat the flesh, not the... Uh, a little bit of toxicity in the flesh, okay. but it's really about the stone. Okay. Um, and so citrus fruit, no, I just find dogs don't tend to like it, whether yeah. it's the acid or only I mean, it's high in sugar and stuff like that. But, but if they were to eat the... Nah, th- that's all right. all right. Okay, that's good yeah. to know. Oh, grapes. Don't eat grapes. Yes. So I... Grapes, sultanas, raisins. Yes, yeah. I learned that one on They're here dangerous. because my dog was... Eating heaps of sultanas, mm. following my son around, picking them up, yeah. <laughs> cleaning up. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good, good stuff to know. Four nine two one six two one six. Now, Dr. David Tabret, we're talking tick safety today. Well, it's really strange because you know tick season is September, October, November. Yeah, we'll talk about snakes another day. We've already done them. They're out weeks and about. Ago. They're out and about. Tick seasons now, and we talked about this earlier in the year so that people could start preventatives. Yep. And look, I have to say, people have listened. Really? We have not seen the influx, and touch wood, as I said, it's only halfway through the season, but we're not seeing the influx of tick patients that we would normally see. That's excellent. So, I mean, Cheryl came up with another theory about 
tick numbers, why we might not be seeing them. And that's the climate. Look how hot it and dry it's And been. dry, mm. yeah. So a lot of people think, oh, ticks, it's summer, but the Australian Ixodes tick is a soft-bodied tick, so it actually dehydrates in the really hot weather. It requires, um, you know, mild to warm, but kind of this weather we've been having now, and moisture, it requires humidity. Otherwise, they dry out. So normally we would see tick numbers drop off in December, January, and um, but at the moment we're really we're seeing a few, but nothing like you know we used to. Um, so I'm really hoping that that's because people are paying attention and using preventatives. Most importantly, don't stop. Um, I don't think we're through the worst of it. So really, the message today is that you know if you've been using a monthly or a three monthly tick preventative uh, for your dog, um, and other methods for your cats, just continue to. Uh, utilise them right through the year because we still see tick patients um, all the way through the year. And David, I was going to say, do other vets, are they sort of seeing the same results as you? But I guess you probably see more than anyone being the emergency yeah, centre. I think like, it, that's that where space. you'd take it, really, wouldn't yeah. you? I, we've spoken to other centres around Australia, Australia and we do know that there is a reduction um, last season compared to the year before. That's really good news. So hopefully that means that we're getting on top of this problem with tick poisoning. We've got a call now, 49216216 for Pet Chat. Hello, what's your name and how can we help you? Hi, my name's Rob. Um, you were talking about Dalmatians, not actually, uh, uh, dogs not, not liking citrus. I had a Dalmatian, she used to go up to the tree, check all the, the men are in there, Pull yeah. one off, pull the top off, and eat the middle out of it. I thought it was possums, but I actually saw her do it. <laughs> oh, so she did like the stone fruits because we're talking no, about citrus ma- fruit. Mandarin. Oh, mandarin. Sorry, the yeah. citrus fruits. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it's I think it's the sugar, but I think that I think a lot of the time what probably puts them off is the acid that's in it. Um, but obviously, they've all got their own palate, haven't they? Yeah. Well, she, she used to even. Um, Drool when when we were making coleslaw over the over the, the raw cabbage. <laughs> I hope she wasn't drooling in the coleslaw. Why? <laughs> Providing the dressing. Uh, yeah. She's she's tried out a few different things, Rob. Oh, mate, she, so there was the only thing she wouldn't eat was parsley. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> there you even, go. Even even green peas. She'd eat green peas. Wow. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Dogs are so particular about some things and some foods and obviously really happy with other things. So yeah, yeah. it's fantastic. They do have their own taste yeah. buds. Taking your calls, 49216216. Uh, when we come back from the break, we're going to look at our pet of the week as well. And uh, today we're going to meet Boss. And I think the name is appropriate as well. Yeah. Is it the, the Boss or just Boss? Boss. Just Boss. Don't even need the... No. Just boss. Now, Bill from Mount Hutton, you've got a bit of an embarrassing problem with your pooch. Yeah, it's a bit embarrassing at times. Like uh, this is the seventh, probably the seventh of this particular breed. The first one we had uh, many years ago was a male, but since then we've had females. She's uh, four months, sort of three years old. At the end of this month, and yep. occasionally when I'm sitting on the lounge in the afternoon or whatever. She'll sit beside me and go to sleep. And if I get up for any reason, be it fairly quickly or just occasionally get up, she'll wake with a start and sort of hump my leg. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, it, she might have been... Ha- yeah, she might have been... Uh, 
She's worried you were going to leave and she was having having dreams about you and you've startled her. What's going on? She just wanted to show you the love she had for you so you wouldn't go. I, I'm, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking along those lines because she doesn't do it with anybody else. And I'm, I'm constantly with her. I walk her twice a day and she is a Delta dog. And, uh, and yeah, she's, uh, she's very affectionate, but she shows a lot of affection to people when they arrive. <laughs> yep. More than what she does to me if I'm out on my own and come home. She doesn't show that same exuberance when I arrive, but she, she invariably sits beside me and goes to sleep, and she obviously in a deep sleep, and she wakes with a start, and she starts hunting the week. So when she's, when she's asleep, um, she's actually beside you on the lounge, or is she on the floor? No, she's on the lounge. Yeah. And sometimes okay. she'll cuddle up quite closely, but in the warmer months, she seems to move away after a short time or sometimes a lengthy time, and, and because maybe she's overheated, she just yeah. gets away. She doesn't want that body of contact. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, it, 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 do, you see, do you see it with that being a problem, or...? Well, it's it's probably just more to the behaviour. What it speaks to is um, either that risk of separate. It's it could either be separation anxiety. It could be related to like a dominance behaviour. Um, yeah. It's kind of more in Doctor Bob's territory than mine. But yeah. my feeling about this is that it does indicate uh, an anxiety either way. Right. And okay. and so. You know, if we approach it from the idea that anxiety is causing some mental anguish for her um, and she acts it out in this way, then we need to address what that mental anguish is. So if it's like separation, like, oh, I don't want you to leave, um, then we have to get her used to you being getting up and walking away for a short period of time and everything being calm so Uh, that she doesn't do that. Fairly regularly because we we go shopping, we we go out to period of time, sometimes two, three, four hours, sometimes half a day. Yeah, never a problem. When she just goes into, I tell her to go into the laundry, put the barrier up, and she's fine. But it's only when she comes out of a sleep, okay. and I'm guessing she's dreaming. So I don't I don't notice the problem at any other time other than when she comes out of a sleep. At least it's in the privacy of your own home. Well, that's true. But it's sometimes <laughs> you have visitors. Yeah, you know, I've got to try and explain. This is the first time ever, and I. I don't really think there's anything wrong with the dog because she she she's pretty obedient. She has a little blaze and yeah. But uh, in every other way, she's very obedient and um, she never never hangs around us when we're having a meal. She knows when meal time is. She'll go in, into a bed in the laundry and, and that's where she stays until we finish. I'm just so, wondering you know, wondering about where like when she does fall asleep and she's on the lounge. If you actually picked her up and put her on the floor and changing the the height might actually change how she reacts. Um, and as you say, maybe, you know, it's more a curiosity, but I'd just be paying attention because I think some of these things over time can just start to develop into behaviours that really do cause a problem. And the, the kind of like the crux of it all is back here now when it's more curiosity, but it, it's something to pay attention to. Yeah, interesting. Um, well, it doesn't seem to be increasing any of the... Is, is pretty much as it was when it first started and it hasn't always been there because as I said she's just nearly four years of age and there's only something that's developed in the last probably couple of years. Yeah. So when she was baby that didn't happen and, and absolutely never happened before in any other female and even the male dog we had, the original one was uh, never any tendency to do that. I had my brother had a, um, a Blenheim for a few years and um, 
it used to do that, and also market territory yeah. pretty pretty yeah. frequently. And, and uh, our, our dog female doesn't do that; doesn't market territory. Yeah, we do. We do often see problems exhibited, but the behaviour problem that's exhibited is not the actual. That's the problem for us, but that's not the problem for the dog. That's actually the dog's coping strategy, and that's what I was saying about mental anguish. So the dog's reaction. We notice that, but it's actually what's underlying that. And oftentimes, and as we're kind of even just digging in a little bit here, we find that um, you know that some of the clues to these behaviour problems go back a long way and uh, really require a depth of discussion. And I think you know, Dr Bob says his consults are minimum one to two hours and people have to fill out you know, this huge questionnaire just to really dig into these things yeah. because we find that... Uh, the answers really need to be teased out over time. It's not always the most obvious thing. So, yeah, it's well, a difficult one. Well, thank you for your one. call, Bill. We've got uh, Tom from Edgeworth now. Now, you're looking for a natural product for flea control. G'day, Tom. Yeah, that's correct, yeah. Yeah, that's right, yep. Have you got uh, dogs or cats? I've got dogs. Uh, I've got a Pomeranian, purebred Pomeranian, and I've got crossbreed um, Labrador. Okay, and all right, they, yep. They get on really well together. <laughs> So oftentimes um, there's a couple of questions there. One is that um, when we look at flea control, we're looking at the whole lifestyle, okay, uh, life cycle, I should say, for the flea. Yeah. And um, when we talk to people about natural products, um, in that, in that co- kind of context, um, people are often trying to reduce the risk of toxicity to the dog or themselves. Because yeah. at the end of the day, we're still trying to kill the fleas, okay, and to stop yep. the life cycle, which means we're going to have to use something that um, that uh, is meeting is actually going to be a pesticide. It's going to be toxic to fleas. It's just how do we do that without risking to people and dogs? So then it's really just like anything. It's not a matter of whether it's natural or not. It's a matter of whether we can manage the toxicity because there's plenty of toxic things in nature. Um, mm-hmm. Arsenic, a lot of people say to me, oh, use, use garlic or, you know, for flea control. Mm. But actually I've treated a dog that's had garlic toxicity, okay, and it knocks out yep. their red blood cells. So that's not good because then the dog needs a blood transfusion because all someone was doing was trying to stop fleas. Um, and really I can't think of an actual product that you would buy off the shelf to kill fleas that would cause a blood transfusion. Uh, to be required. There may be some other risks, but really it's about managing that and understanding it. So this is where you've got to dig in because there are different products that people use, but if you want to stop fleas, um, oftentimes you do need to look at using um, parasiticides, pesticides in a way that is low risk for you and for your pet. Um, And natural doesn't mean there's no risk. It just means that it's a different risk and, um, for instance, we know that the, the plant chrysanthemums contain uh, pyrethrins and pyrethroid substances. So you could feed your pet py- uh, chrysanthemum flowers, but in actual fact, what you want is the pyrethrin. So what we do is we go to the shelf and we buy pyrethrins in a bottle and we use that. Um, and that's probably safer because it means you're not actually getting whatever else is in the chrysanthemum plant. And that's a very general thing, but I think it actually applies to whenever we approach this sort of subject, it's like, what is the problem we're trying to solve? Two dogs is always harder than one. 
And if you had cats and dogs, it would be harder still. But I would sit down with your vet and actually ask this question in a really curious way because I think you'll find a way to manage the problem without risking toxicity. And thank you for the call, Tom. That is almost time today for Pet Chat. Uh, We do need to mention our Pet of the Week, though, because I'm in love with this one. Boss, four-year-old Mastiff, energetic bundle of joy, uh, but he is very, very sweet-natured, and he is very well-mannered as well. He's got his basic commands down pat. He's not a jumper. There's a great video on 2NURFM.com with him loving up to another dog, and he's just beautiful. I've been talking to him like this all day. Oh, I just want to squish that face. <laughs> Everyone in the office has been looking at me like I'm a little bit crazy. But, yeah, go check him out, 2NURFM.com. Just click on Dog of the Week. That'll give you all of the information if you're in a position to give him a forever home. Cheryl Shaw, Dr. David Tabret, that's it for us today. Beautiful to have Thanks, you on Sarah. the show as Thank always. You. Thank you for all of our callers. We are back same time next week. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.